Has anything like that ever appeared in human history? There's nothing like it. Therefore, I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. The iron curtain between East Germany and West Berlin has come tumbling down. Good evening. It's a killing that's shaking Montreal's underworld. A man known as the Hello, hi, welcome to Otis Morris Hates Himself. Uh, whoa, man, how are you guys doing? I've I've been having, I've had a crazy week. This episode's coming out late. It's still coming out on Monday. I'm just recording this part and then it'll be out and then no one cares. No one's listening, but whatever. I got a new fucking cat. I got a kitty. He's adorable. His name's Hannibal and I've been busy. Okay. I've been busy. I've been fucking busy trying to raise a cat and trying to make sure I don't murder a cat or have a cat murder me or have my other cat murder this cat. I'm now crazy cat, man. I got cats and, uh, I'm just getting cats. I'm going to have a cat sanctuary. We're going to have a cat castle, and we're just going to start slinging cats. We're selling cats, breeding cats. I don't know much about cats. So I'm going to watch Cats the Musical. I'll be an expert by, like, the end of next week. Okay? Who knows? Whatever. Fuck it. You know, it's fucking crazy. It's been a crazy time. I found out my landlord, if you've been listening, a longtime listener of the show, you would know that my landlord is a piece of shit. Okay, and it goes with the theme of the episode of people who are pieces of shit of their whole life and have, you know, just they just look like slimy people, they just look like lizard people, and they're disgusting, and they, none of them are to be trusted. None of them are to be trusted ever, 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 ever. Never ever trust a landlord, okay? Especially my landlord, I found out recently, she's racist. My landlord's racist, you know? saw this thing online on Facebook, and apparently she was complaining that one of the tenants had a, uh, a sign in a window that said Black Lives Matter. And she's like, you can't, you know, I, I think you should take it down because if I'm going to be quite frank, uh, all lives matter. And you know what? You should take it down. And I'm glad somebody, you know posted that and i hope i hope somebody cancels my landlord i don't know how you cancel a landlord i've tried i've complained to people that she legitimately refuses to do her job blatantly she just i i have the evidence and even you know the tribunal and it's like no apparently you got to pay money to go to for these people to even look at your case of being like, hey, my landlord's a fucking con artist. And they're like, hey, well, you got to pay me money so that I can be invested into, you know, giving a shit about your landlord being a potential con man. Um, so pay us some money and then we'll look into it. Even though you should just basically have a complaint. You know, if you're a person that's being scammed out of a bunch of money by a slumlord, chances are, you know, you're probably kind of short on money and probably complaining because, you know, you would like to be scammed out of less money. But here, here, we're going to take more from you. We're the, we're the tenant tribunal council. So, uh, fuck you. <laughs> fuck landlords. They can burn in hell. Much like much like the person um, from this episode we're talking about today. We're talking about Lou Perlman. He is just 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 a good 
good hearty fat fuck. Just a good hearty fat fuck. Just the dude, you see him, you're like, I want to punch this guy in one of his chins. One of them. I don't care what chin. Just just give one of those chins to me and just let me fucking just punch that shit up like a fucking speed bag. Just, just pound that motherfucker out. Just let him know what's up. Just do that, okay? That's, that works for me. Does that work for you? That's fine. Whatever. Just beat the shit out of this guy. He's got an ugly face. He's a con man. And you're going to learn that he cons people out of millions of dollars and... By the end of his cons, becomes perhaps one of the biggest con men in American history. So we're going to be talking about Lou Pearl, man. We're going to be talking about boy bands. And, uh, you know, I had to watch a lot of documentaries I did not really care for. I had to watch a movie called The Boy Band Con, which was about Lou Pearlman and got a lot of information from the actual people in the boy bands, a lot of interviews with them. Watched a uh, old 60 Minutes uh, episode of American Greed. They did a whole expose on them. Uh, there was a Vanity Fair article called Mad About the Boys, which uh, talks about his scams and some other stuff that we'll talk about other uh, next week. But uh, And there's a couple other articles. There's like an, some Orlando newspaper articles and stuff. And uh, yeah, I read a lot about this shit, and now I know a lot about pop music. And uh, you know what? I feel like a, a worse person for it. And... You know, it was not worth the amount of hours I put into researching it, but you know what? It's an interesting story, and uh, you're going to fucking listen to it right now. So, uh, this is the Lou Pearlman story, I guess. Fucking get with it, boys. Ha! Introduction. Alright. I think it's a fact that everyone hates their manager, or most of them, serious managers fucking suck. But, like, imagine if thousands of people hated your manager. Like... Your manager was across the board, top quality piece of shit, okay? Not just like because they created a music craze that the music industry has yet to recover from. But, uh, you know, like when you make like a whole genre of shitty music, people stay mad at you. And that's one thing to be mad about. But no, people were mad because this dude scammed thousands of people out of millions of dollars, you know? Imagine if the shitty music thing that he did was the only legitimate thing he did, you know? Well, then, welcome to the world of big fat lard of shit known as Lou Pearlman. Big fat piece of shit, okay? Music producer, aviation enthusiast, I guess. It's weird. Uh, Entrepreneur uh, and just legendary American con man, You, you know? You may know Lou Pearlman as the man who discovered and produced international superstar groups like the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, but uh, his story begins long before that and continues a couple years after the music, you know? There's a little behind, it's, uh, the man has an interesting life, and that's why there's going to be a whole episode about him, you know, okay, but, you know, I don't know, the story begins and continues long before the terrible bubblegum pop became the only thing on MTV, holy shit, you guys remember MTV, like, this episode is going to have some 90s nostalgia that you, pieces of shit, desperately like cling on to because you people love 90s nostalgia let's be serious that shit sucked so you know this episode is for you i wish you all get scammed and i hate you little louie 
born June 19, 1954 in Flushing, Queens, New York. Lewis was the only child of Jewish parents High and Rini Perlman. Since he was a child, he was a fat piece of shit. This guy was a fat piece of shit. Uh, this guy, Lou, he only had one friend as a child. You know, it was a kid that lived in the same apartment building as him, a kid named Alan Gross, you know, and he's, this is the only friend that basically this guy ever had, according to any research I've done. Um, growing up in Flushing in the 60s was described as a friendly, good place to grow up, but according to Alan, Louis didn't represent us. Louis didn't fit into any crowds. He really didn't. He did not fit in anywhere because he was so fat. He literally, he could not fit into anything. Yeah, I'm going to be making fun of a fat kid for a very long time. And you're going to be like, well, you can't make fun of fat kids, you know? And it's like, well, when this guy grows up to be a fat piece of shit and you realize he was a fat piece of shit as a kid too, you're going to be like, you know what? Maybe it's kind of like a kill baby Hitler type situation. Kill baby Lou Pearlman. I would do that. I would 100% go back in time and kill a little baby Lou Pearlman. Just take him and just kick him off the top of his fucking apartment building. Then Alan Gross can grow up and, you know, not have to deal with a piece of shit throughout his life. You know, that's what I'm saying, okay? Whatever. You, you want more proof? Here's more proof, okay? Lou was a compulsive liar that believed his own lies and would constantly misdirect people. His lies would then perpetuate his schemes he would take guitar lessons for $5. He'd get $5 from his mom. Go get a fucking guitar lesson from fucking some hack down the street. Who knows? Could have been fucking Jimi Hendrix. It's like, this is a riff I wrote. It goes, and Lou Pearlman's like, this shit sucks, man. You know what's going to be big? Germany. Just wait. Just wait. Germany's going to be huge in the 90s. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? No one knows. Germans don't make music. Fuck the Germans, dude. Okay? So anyways, he'd go take a guitar lesson for $5, and then he'd come back to his neighborhood and teach the kids in his neighborhood the same lesson for $5 each. So this dude was just going, learning a basic blue scale, and then coming back, and he goes, okay, so it goes, E? Yeah, you get that E? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, hit that F sharp. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hit that. Hit, hit that A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hit, hit that. Do, 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 do. Or whatever. I don't know, man. You know? Fucking, this dude, he would tell people, he would tell people that his fucking uncle was Art Garfunkel. Yeah, he would tell his, from Simon Garfunkel, he'd be like, you know the guy, the shitty dude that sings fucking Bridge Over Troubled Waters? Yeah, you know, or the like, sounds of sounds, you know, this is the, like, this is the shitty dude. This is the shitty dude. This is the dude that didn't write any of the songs. This is the dude that didn't write any of the songs. Wow. Look at this, a guy that's famous, not really that talented, kind of just leeches off a, a talented other dude. Hmm, where is that going to be relevant? I don't know. But anyways, so he told people that Art Garfunkel was his uncle and that Art Garfunkel was going to be at his fucking bar mitzvah. You know, he's going to be a 13-year-old and just be like, hey, I got fucking Art Garfunkel coming in here. And people are like, you're a fucking fat, stupid liar. Stop talking shit. What the fuck? I'll come to your bar mitzvah anyways because bar mitzvahs have crazy amount of food and, you know, Jewish people go off. So let's do this. Let's do this. We're going to have a good time. And then, to the surprise of pretty much all the kids there, our golf uncle actually did show up. He actually showed the fuck up because he's actually first cousins with Lou Perlman, you know? 
That's the one thing this fat little shit didn't lie about as a kid. You know, it's probably, possibly the only time in his life that Lou actually told the truth. It's, it's true, you know. As a kid, Lou had a paper route with another kid named David. And uh, this, this story that he's been telling people. And uh, not satisfied with only making $15 a week, Lou started buying paper routes from other kids. He's like, I'm going to buy your business. I'm buying your business. I'm buying your business. He was, he was trying to monopolize the fucking... He was trying to monopolize, he trying to monopolize the paper route game, you know? You know, last week we were talking about uh, McCarthyism and he was trying to get into the chicken game. Well, Lou's trying to bust into the paper game. You know, he's literally trying to, he's trying to get in all types of games. That's the thing. That's the problem here is that his game is, he's oversaturating his game with too many games. And you'll see, you'll see that he's, he just takes off, he bites off more than he can chew. Literally, figuratively, he's a fat piece of shit in every context of the being a fat piece of shit he's just the fattest piece of shit you've seen big pieces of shit but honestly i i can't think of a bigger way to describe this guy he's just shitty big and he's got a lot of pieces to him and we're gonna break these pieces down okay so apparently he started buying paper routes from other kids and created an entire system of paper routes you know lou had the preferences of where families wanted their paper like did they want it in the mailbox did they want it under the rug did they want it fucking thrown through the fucking front window did they want it thrown on top of the drunk passed out uncle on the front lawn you know there's options you know lou knew what they wanted okay Lou was actually, like, so successful at this, he managed to score a deal with Dunkin' Donuts. This dude's, like, fucking 13, and he's got deals with Dunkin' Donuts. The dude's making moves, making he's moving papers, okay? And he was going to deliver donuts to the families in the morning so they could have their newspaper and their donut at the same time. You know, that's this dude was making moves, making moves, okay? And, of course... This was all 100% completely made up by Lou. 100% made up by Lou. He never even had a paper route. His friend David had the paper route. He never fucking bought paper routes. Kids don't buy paper routes. What the fuck? You can't get a monopoly on paper routes. What the fuck? You can't... Dude, no. You can't do that. Imagine people just start... Imagine dudes just started buying up paper routes and just started, like, fucking beating the shit out of kids. And they're just like, this is my paper route now, motherfucker. Like, Italian ma- mafia dudes that come in, like, you know how they take over, like, blocks and shit. You gotta, like, pay them money and they'll keep you fucking secure. Well, imagine dudes just doing that, just hustling kids out of their paper route money. God damn it, that's a good scheme. I should start... I should figure out what the local paper is and try and fucking hustle some kids out of some money. Uh, but anyways, Lou would use this story and, uh, he would tell people to that. He'd be like, see, I've been, uh, I've been hustling ever since I was a kid. And people would be like, well, this kid's been hustling ever since he was a kid. And it's just like, you're a fucking idiot. You know, this guy, he's, he was not an entrepreneur. He's a fucking scam artist. Okay. He's fucking, this guy's, he sucks. He sucks, man. He just sucks. According to his own book. Bands, brands, and billions. My top ten rules for making any business go platinum. Lou's life changed in 1964 when he was looking out his window and saw what I consider to be the dumbest fucking thing ever. The 
like this dude started fucking foaming at the mouth because his dick was so hard. His small little pudgy fucking dumb dick was so fucking hard. Did he see his first titty? Did he see some pussy? Did he see some nice ass? No, no. This disgusting, dirty, greasy, lying fuck got super hard because he saw a blimp from his bedroom window. A fucking blimp. What? Lou loved blimps so much he did a school assignment about blimps just so he could get onto the blimp. I was ecstatic, Pearlman wrote in his book. The airport became my summer playground and my after-school hangout. But like everything else in this story, Lou was full of shit. Completely full of shit. Okay? That story, you know... That's not his story. Alan Gross, who for 55 years had lived in apartment 4C, a narrow space filled with weird blimp models, blimp posters, blimp photos, blimp keychains, and a cat, because of course a fucking weirdo obsessed with blimps also has a cat, and that's the only thing that gives him love is a cat, because if you're obsessed with blimps, no one's going to love you, okay? That, you got to accept that. You have to accept that. If you're going to love blimps, no one is going to give you love. You can't go love a stupid fucking balloon in the sky and expect people to be like, this is a rational person that I can give affection to. No, people think you're insane. You're obsessed with balloons. You know who else is obsessed with balloons? Children. Children, okay? So when these little fucks, when they're kids, when little fat Louie's a kid, he's like, I like fucking blips. Yeah, I like blips, yeah. When he gets become an adult, he's like, I like blips, you see, yeah. I like blips, yeah. And it's just like, you're fucking weird. You're weird. As a kid, you can be like, I like balloons. I'm a stupid little kid. Let me blow away in the wind. But as an adult, you're just fucking weird, okay? And that's it. That's it. That's it. You can't like blimps. You can't like blimps anymore, Okay? Anyway, so Alan Gross, he's like, yo, see this window? This is the window Lou always talks about, Gross says, while pointing towards the Flushing Airport, okay? So he's in his apartment. He's like, look, see, I can see the airport, airport, you know? Lou's apartment is on the other side of the building, okay? It's on the other side of the building. He couldn't even see the blimps from here. He saw them from here because I showed them to him. Alan showed them to Lou. Lou stole everything from Alan. Stole everything. He stole his weird passion for blimps. And he just made up everything. He just made up everything. And to this point, the only thing he's actually been honest about is Art Garfunkel being his uncle. Even though that was kind of a lie because they're actually cousins of some weird thing. They're not, he's not his uncle, okay? They are related somehow, though. But it doesn't matter, Okay. Where Alan had passion, Lou had a desire for money. Blimp Boy and Transcontinental. In the late 70s, Lou's obsession with blimps, or actually Alan's obsessions with blimps, who, who cares? Okay, who fucking cares whose obsession it was? They're blimps. They're both fucking weird, okay? None of them, I don't think either of them ever, like, fucked a woman in their entire life, Okay. Lou, maybe Lou never wanted the fuck a woman. Alan, Alan, I don't think care. Alan just wanted to live inside of a blimp. He wanted to be a blimp, like, spiritually. And Lou wanted to be a blimp, like, physically. He wanted to just be a giant advertisement. And he just wanted to be giant. He, 
he was a fat fuck. He was a fat fuck, and he was basically a blimp. So he was living his dream, okay, pretty much. You know, because in the late 70s, uh, they ended up, they created their first aviation company called Airship Enterprises Limited. Lou's genius idea was that he would buy blimps and then lease them the companies to advertise on them, which isn't a terrible idea if you actually have a fucking blimp to lease out. He didn't have a blimp. He didn't have a blimp. I don't know why. He's like, I'm going to go start a blimp company. Okay, do you got a blimp? No. No. You think I got some blimps, eh? What? I don't know. I haven't really settled on a voice for Lou Pearlman. I haven't really settled on him. I want him to be like a... Hey. Yay. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna sound like an old timey con man, okay? He's like, I don't have any blimps, you see. Yeah, he just he's just he sounds like Rodney Dangerfield in in my mind. He doesn't actually sound when you hear him. He's just like he sounds he sounds like a slimy Jewish fucking New York slime ball, okay? He sounds disgusting. He sounds like he was raised in the sewer. If you saw a piece of slime rise out of the sewer in the middle of Brooklyn or like Queens or any like major borough of New York, you'd be like, and he's just like, I'm fucking, he's $5. You give $5, I'll fucking take back five. Okay. You can make the trade. We got the trade going. It just makes sense. Okay. I'm just, he's going, he's getting an Italian accent. Okay. Lou's got an Italian accent. Okay. So Lou's like, okay, I got a fucking blimp company. I don't even have any fucking blimps. Okay. Okay. He didn't have a blimp. Okay. So he went and bought one from a logging company. Okay. And it wasn't even like a real blimp. It was more of like, uh, it was just, a, it was a shitty balloon. It was a shitty half-sized balloon blimp thing. It was shit, okay? Lou even apparently tried to buy parts for it and tried to fix it, but he has literally zero uh, engineering ability whatsoever. The man is just fat. I don't even know if he could, like, physically fit inside of the blimp that he wants to fix, Okay. Uh, he couldn't fix shit. He, he sucks. He sucks. Okay. He's not handy at all. He's, 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 he's just buying things and slamming things together and just being like, here we go. Boom. There. I fucking fixed it. You just, i just put a patch on a hole in a blimp. And it's like, Hey, but air is going to get out. It's like, I don't fucking care. Fuck it. And so anyways, Lou then leased the shitty blimp to a company called Jordash or Jordash. I don't remember, but they were uh, apparently a popular jean company in the 80s. Hell yeah. Get those fucking jeans. Show off that slick ass. Anyways, so the company leases it and the blimp's traveling to where it's supposed to go. It's supposed to be in New York for some event. And so it travels, like, starts traveling there a couple days because it's going from, like, New Jersey to New York. And so the blimp basically travels less than a mile and then crashes directly into a nearby garbage dump. Um, the crash made local news. And at, uh, at 26 years old, you know, he's on fucking news. And they're like, look, this fucking... This Lou Pearlman guy selling blimps that don't work, and he's on the news, and Lou's like, I fucking like this. I like the attention. Look at me. Look at me. I'm the big fat fuck selling blimps. I'm selling fucking blimps, right? You know? I'm fat as fuck, and I'm selling blimps. Let's do this, okay? And 
people are like this what uh, so he realized he couldn't build blimps or really, he didn't know what the fuck he was doing with blimps, but he knew how to get money quick because Lou took out a $3 million insurance claim on his shitty $10,000 balloon half blimp shitty thing. Okay. Lou basically wanted the blimp to crash so he could profit and he fucking profited. He profited. He made mad money and then immediately after alan left the company pretty much she was like yeah this little guy he's a he's a fucking con man he's a scheming slimy fuck okay he's he's scheming he's sliming you gotta stop this guy so he got the fuck out of the company so uh so lou after a couple of years lawsuits and shit oh, a poster just fell lou took his three million dollars and he moved down to Orlando, Florida. Just a fantastic place. Because, you know, when you get rich, you go down to Florida. And that's where you really transform into your final form of just being a slimy fucking greaseball. Okay? Just a slimy fucking conniving little Jewish man. Just a fat fuck. So, he moves down to Orlando, Florida in 1991. And forms a new company called... Get this. Airship... International Limited. He went from Airship Enterprises to Airship International. Big fucking whoop-de-woo. Uh, so, you know, he's just being like, look, I'm I'm not the guy that sold the fucking shitty fucking gene blimp. You know, I'm a different guy. I'm a good guy. I'm not, I'm not selling shitty blimps. You know, look at me. I got $3 million. I live in Orlando. That guy's up in New York. That's a different scheme in fat fuck, okay? Listen here, look at me. Look at me. I got a hanger down here. Okay? I got a hanger. I got a hanger and shit. I got I got a hanger. If I got a hanger, then obviously I'm legit. So Lou actually did have a hanger. Lou bought a hanger and began leasing out real big boy blimps to huge companies. Like he actually got some blimps and started leasing them. He started leasing them to advertisers like McDonald's, MetLife, and SeaWorld. Those were the three biggest you know, in the area, those were three of the biggest companies you could score in Orlando. That's huge. That's huge. He actually was one of the first people to, like, actually convince McDonald's to advertise on blimps. See? So maybe he could have actually been, like, a half-decent business dude, okay? Because this is the first time Lou made legitimate money. But instead of continuing to build his aircraft advertising empire, he moved on. Or did he? I don't know. He, he always kind of has a foot in this air company, and uh, it's kind of confusing. It's kind of hard to get the timeline, but I, th- I think I got it. I'll explain it, okay? <clears throat> so, in the 1980s, before his success with blimps, or even his greater success with boy bands, Lou created a company called Transcontinental Airlines Incorporated, referred to as Transcon. So whenever I say transcon, I'm not talking about like a conservative trans person, okay? I'm talking about transcontinental airlines and all his other derivatives of transcon. Basically, from this point forward, any company he has is some version of transcon. And okay, you'll you'll figure it out. This was Lou's first business venture and only company he maintains throughout his career. Transcon was an airline that was supposedly going to be the next great airline in America. 
However, Lou and Transcon didn't own a single airplane. To convince people the airline actually existed, Lou used Allen's small airplane model. Remember his little airplane? You know, he was obs- Allen was obsessed with airplanes. Well, guess what? Lou fucking took his little model airplane that was like a perfect thing and he just held it in front of a camera at the perfect angle and made fake airplane photos in all his business photos, like being like, hey, here's a photo of our airplane taking off. Here's a photo of our airplane landing. Here's just a photo of our airplane flying. They're all taken in ways where he was holding them but you couldn't all you could never see one of the back wings because that's where he was holding it with his fingers and it was a little fucking toy model and he conned people because this was back in the 80s and 90s and people didn't know that you could like fake photographs yet people people still were fucking like i can go get bigfoot i'm gonna go get bigfoot I can do it. I can get Bigfoot. I can put Bigfoot real. I can do it. I can do it. So people were like, I see airplane. That's obviously airplane. Okay. Bigfoot, airplane. Same thing. Okay. People were stupid. And if you had a photo of something, they're like, fuck it. It's fucking real. I can't believe it. It's real. Look, look. It's fucking real. He, he has a photo. There's no way a photo could ever possibly be faked. I can't believe people were that dumb and just... Anyways... And now people are like, nothing's real. You show a person a photo, they're like, that's not real. You never met The Rock. And it's like, here's me giving The Rock a titty twister. And they're like, no. And they're like, here's a GIF. It's in GIF format. You see me twisted. They're like, nah, nah, that's that's face swap, dude. That's face swap. You can't. Whatever. Okay? So that's what he did. He used Allen's small airplane model, photographed it in ways to make it look like the actual plane take it off, despite it being a model he was just cleverly holding. The Transcon 737 Boeing plane never actually existed, though his business of renting airplanes did. It, like, he did actually. It's kind of weird, because he did own, he was renting out, like, jets to people. And I think he was just renting out other people's jets See, this dude never actually owned anything. He was just taking shit from other people and making money off of other people's shit. That's that's his whole story, okay? And it's weird, okay? So he was renting private jets out, and one of the parties renting out one of his private jets was the boy band group from the early 90s, late 80s, whenever the fuck they were popular, New Kids on the Block, okay? Remember New Kids on the Block? Mark Wahlberg's, like, less talented not so racist brother i don't know i forget the Wahlberg's, uh you know hierarchy of racism i don't know where marky mark sits you know he was he's like a born again christian or catholic so who knows he could be fine he could be a good guy now anyways moving on that does, like actually you know mark Wahlberg, the, the Wahlbergs you don't know because there's mark and donnie and then who's the other one who's the other one is there another one? Who's the one that owns the burger place, okay? If you own a burger place, you're definitely racist, especially from Boston. If you own a Boston burger joint, 
you, you gotta be racist, okay? The only other thing that could be possibly be more racist is a Boston pizza joint. Just be like, hey, get the fuck out of here. Get your fuck, get, hey, hey, you don't fucking put dipping sauce on your fucking, look at this fucking guy. He's putting fucking dipping sauce on his fucking, he can't put fucking dipping sauce on a fucking pineapple. This fucking queer was fucking pineapple on his, this fucking queer. This guy's a fucking queer. Get the fuck out of here, dude. I would beat the shit out of you 20 years ago. If you came in here 20 years ago asking for pineapple on a pizza, I'd beat the fuck out of you, dude. Get the fuck out of here, okay? That's that's basically probably every pizzeria in Boston, something to some effect of that. Okay, this guy, he comes in here with a fucking giant st- fucking shirt on, and I'm gonna fucking say I'm putting this guy through the fucking oven. He wants his fucking extra large pizza. He go in there and fucking get it out himself with his fucking hands. How about that, huh? How about that? This fucking queer comes in here with giants fucking shirt on. This is fucking Boston, bro. Yeah, you come in here, it's pants or nothing. Okay, get the fuck out. And he wants pineapple. This guy's a fucking fuck. You know, I cut him off before he starts getting real, real hate crime worthy, okay? So anyways. <laughs> okay, so big blimp boy. He's like flabbergasted that uh, that kids, that these new kids on the block who were in fact still kids were making a lot of fucking money. And he was like, so what do you guys do for a living to fucking make so much money, bro? Like, how are you making your fucking money? And they're just like, hey, we're in a fucking uh, boy band, man. We're in a fucking boy band. You know, we're just, we're just going around. We're fucking serving our pizzas, making boy bands and shit. And Lou's like, cha-ching, that's what I'm going to do. You guys, the only thing that you can possibly do in the future to make money is to start a boy band. Are you listening to this guy? You've been listening to this shit, okay? You know about Lou Perlman, okay? And you're about to hear about all this money this dude's about to make, okay? You don't need fuck the blimps, fuck air, fuck all that shit. Who cares? Making boy bands is how you make money. Do you want to be a member of a boy band? The question is... Yes, or answer to the question. Of course, of course you want to be in a boy band and make millions of dollars, okay? Who cares? You might get locked into a shitty record contract. You know, you might get scammed by Lou Pearlman, but guess what? You're not. You're not because you're going to come here to Cemetery Sound. That's right. At Cemetery Sound, we care about our artists. Yeah, yeah. You know, Joe Daniel, he operates Cemetery Sound, and he's been making music for years, for decades, you know, he's been doing this since he was a teenager, okay? He's been producing, writing, recording, engineering. He can do all of that for you, okay? You got songs written. You just need to record them. He can make that happen for you. Do you need to make an album cover, but you can't draw? You don't know how to use Photoshop because you your high school was defunded and you couldn't use uh, whatever they call that class where you learn how to use Photoshop and do video editing and that shit. And all the nerds were like, hell yeah, this is sick. Comtech, that class, you never got that. Because you know why? Because your school was bombed. Was it actually bombed? No. But theoretically, hypothetically, uh, figuratively, that's the word, figuratively, your school was bombed by your own government and defunded, and now you don't know how to use Photoshop. How are you going to move forward in the 21st century without using Photoshop? 
Huh? You can't. So that's why Joe's going to make you a fucking album art anyways, okay? You don't need to know how to do anything, okay? He's going to make you album art, okay? He's going to record your shit, okay? And you're not going to get scammed like Lou Pearlman's about to do to all these boys, okay? We're going to go learn about Lou Pearlman scamming people, okay? And once you realize how terrible that is, and you're like, damn, I don't know what to do with my pop music career anymore, this is what you're going to do, okay? You're going to go to cemeterysound.com, and you're going to book a fucking session, and you're going to record some music, okay? Okay, you're going to go check out Cemetery Sound on Instagram. See the work. See the work that's been put in, okay? Okay, you're going to go to Cemetery Sound on SoundCloud. Listen to the albums they put out. Listen to the back catalog of Palm Reader. Listen to the brand new album by Emerson on 35mm. Listen to the brand new album by Sideshow Trice. S-L-O-S-T. And guess who's on that album? Guess who's on L-O-S-T? Guess who's talking some shit? Guess who's saying some shit? Guess who's dropping the truth? Guess who's saying the things that the record industry doesn't want you to hear? Me, your boy Otis Morris. I'm telling you things you don't want to hear. And these are things other record labels wouldn't put out. But Cemetery Sound is real as fuck and they put out the realness. Because Joe knows good shit and he's going to make you sound good as fuck. Okay? So, you know... If you don't want your producer, you know, scamming you and being the sixth member up in your five-member boy band, come to Cemetery Sound. Let's get back to the show. Boy bands and big success. It's 1992, and Lou Pearlman is absolutely killing it, okay? He's fucking big blimping out here. Big blimping. Big pimping. Bum, 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 bum. I don't remember how big pimping my Jay-Z goes. Dang. Is that Big Pimpin? I don't remember. I don't remember. Anyways, he has a successful blimp advertising company and a successful airline on paper because the airline doesn't actually exist. And now he no longer gives a shit about blimps. He's like, fuck this. I honestly never really gave a fuck about blimps anyways never really fucking care about the blimps the blimps want my fucking thing who gives a shit okay who gives a shit hey hey i'm fucking i'm the big blimp daddy okay i'm out here blimping i'm selling blimps slinging blimps mcdonald's got some blimps i got blimps with the mat life hey i got blimps for fucking sea world you want to see a fucking dolphin in the sky look it's a fucking dolphin in the sky buy my blimps get my blimps and everyone's like i want his blimps and then one day i know he's like fuck off i don't do the blimp thing anymore fuck you and then people are like what are you doing what are you doing you know what guys you know honestly he never really gave a shit about blimps he never did and after meeting new kids on the block he knew what his next band his move was it was making a boy band okay even goes back to his old con of fucking arc Garfunkel. he he just wanted to leech off of somebody else's talent okay he wanted to be he needed to go and find he needed to go find his paul simon that's what he needed he needed to find his Paul Simon, to his shitty Art Garfunkel, okay? And the thing is, at least Art Garfunkel had a nice head of hair, okay? This Lou Pearlman guy, he's got, like, fucking just... It's not even... He's got, like, something... I don't even know. It just looks like he has arm hair as his head hair. His head hair looks like arm hair. Have you ever seen a person like that where none of their hair looks like it was ever... His hair never got past, like, 
a two-year-old child's hair. It's still very thin, very baby-like. The man is essentially just a giant baby. The man is just a two-year-old who just blew up like a balloon, literally. This man is a science experiment of what happens if you try to make a literal blimp into a person. You know, that's why he went through the blimp thing, okay? It's a genetic thing. It's a, it's a, it's a science experiment. It's actually, he was concocted in a lab. This was an early 1950s science experiment, okay? The people, after, after this is early Cold War science. They were doing anything. They're like, hey, you know what? Fucking, the Nazis, they're fucking sewing babies together and shit, okay? They got that, like, Manjali guy, that Joseph dude, that crazy doctor dude, Dr. Death, that guy's fucking crazy, okay? That Angela Death dude, fucking wild, okay? Dude sewing babies together by the head and shit and making double brain babies, that's crazy. So this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna take DNA from a baby and mix it with blimp DNA. And then people are like, but blimps aren't living things. And it's like, yeah, but we can make it. And then people are like, Whoa, and that was 1950s science. It was just like, let's just put shit together. We'll just... And so that's how Lou Pearlman was created, okay? He was created as part blimp in a fucking botched science experiment, and now he's out here big blimping. He's out here slinging blimps. But now he's like, I don't want to sling blimps. I want to sling fucking boys. I want to start selling boys. He's basically, he's like, I want to start selling boy dicks to little girls. And... He, 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 he was ready. He was ready to do it. Basically, Lou was in the perfect spot to make a boy band because Orlando was like Hollywood except like a billion times just shittier. It was, it was the perfect thing for Lou at the time. It was just greasy fucking con man town and the Disney theme park was in town. So there was just child performers everywhere. There was people there that were like, I'm going to be a Mickey Mouse for the rest of my life. Look at me. I'm fucking dancing. Woohoo! Lou's like, this is fucking great. Hey, Mickey, get over here. Suck my dick. And then I'll make you famous. Okay? And then that's what he did. That's basically what he did. Okay? Because Lou, he began his recruiting process with a kid named AJ. And AJ and his mom knew some other kids. And then one thing after another Lou had a group of five little boys, and uh, they could sing, they could dance, and they could make boys. Yes, they could make boys, mostly girls, but this story, they were making boys wet, too. They were making boys. See, I was trying to build it up and say, they can make girls and boys. But I said boys first, so it really kind of killed the suspense, okay? There's going to be some creepy boy shit going on later on. Okay, we'll get into that. So he got these boys together, and then he was like, wow, look at these fucking boys. I, I would fuck all these boys in the back street. I'd fucking, I'd fuck them in the out. Whoa, whoa, did I just, whoa, this is the, fu- here's the fucking Backstreet Boys. Whoa, whoa, I would fuck these Backstreet Boys in the back street. This is crazy. This is, wow, wow. And he just, boom, he's got five boys, got a band formed. He formed them in the blimp hangar that he owned, Okay. And the Backstreet Boys would spend years sweating and perfecting their performance in this giant blimp hanger. He just had a blimp hanger. I don't think he was selling... Bl- I don't even know if he's slinging blimps anymore. I don't know if he's big blimping at this point. He just had a blimp hanger. Because, you know, that's just a thing that people hang on to. They're like, I got rid of... I got out. I'm no longer big blimping, but I still got my hanger. And it's like, why would you have a hanger? It's like, 
I'm putting on daily concerts with these uh, fucking little boys, right? So these like 13-year-old boys just come and sing and dance for me for like six hours a day. It's fucking cool, man. I fucking love it. It's fucking great. And people are like, what? Anyways, that that's, sounds cool. So he convinces people, you know, with the help of the former New Kids on the Block manager, Johnny Wright, Lou created a boot camp for the boys. The Blimp Hanger Boot Camp had tutors, coaches, and uh, choreographers, and it was basically a warehouse where the boys would actually work for six to eight hours a day. They would fucking work. And dancing and singing, that's not, that's basically just, they were doing the work of professional athletes, essentially. Like, dancing, you, like, these dudes are in fucking great shape, okay? And they're all, they're so young. These, like, this kid, instead of putting his time, that much time and effort, he could have been becoming, like, an NFL star or something, but no, because, you know, NFL, you got to wait till you're 18 to, like, even make money, and who knows, not even, you know, when you get drafted, and the next thing you know, you have a fucking bum knee, you have CTE, and you're retarded by the time you're 32, so, in this, you know, that, I think that's comparable, is this situation, like, these guys were sort of fucked around, kind of like young professional athletes, and they were just sort of like, like hoop, like this is like some sort of hoop dreams type shit. You know, if they had like a documentary covering this, like from these kids from the time Lou Pearlman goes, like, hey, dance for me, baby. Woo, dance for me. Woo me. Show me what you got. And then went and followed that their whole career. That would be a fucking crazy documentary. And Criterion Collection would be like, I want this, and it needs to be 20 hours long. Okay. We need to come, we need to follow these guys every year for 20 years and like Richard Linklater's producing it obviously okay so this is this is what's going on that'd be a cool document I'd watch that so anyways so they practice all the fucking time and whenever a performance was available possible Lou would fly them across the country with little notice to perform in front of unknown audiences who know who the fuck would be there if it would even be a crowd that would care about a boy band uh but I don't know. They didn't do anything. And then, you know, for first, so this, they formed in 1992. And then by now, it wasn't until 1995 that the band scored their first huge hit with the song, We've Got It Going On. That song. Come on and bash your gun. I've heard that song so many times going to elementary school dances that it's still fucking engraved into my fucking skull. And that's, that was it, you know? And everyone knows that these songs are just catchy as fuck. But before, but the thing is, back then, 1995, we've got it going on. 1995, it wasn't popular in North America. The first place that it was a hit was in Europe, specifically in Germany. They were fucking huge in Germany. And this led to a full year European tour for the band, which basically funded the recording for the first album, which was then released in 1996. Their self-titled debut album was a hit and is still one of the most successful debut albums of all time. 
I don't know the exact number. I should I should have looked it up, but sold fucking numbers of re- like hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions. And records don't people don't buy physical. Like imagine a million kids actually going to the shopping mall with the lunch money that they didn't spend to buy a CD with these five sexy little white kids on it. And this girl's like, I'm going to listen to the song and then I'm going to go think about fucking unicorns and having Nick Carter inseminate me or something. I don't know what little girls think of, but I imagine once Backstreet Boys came out, shit changed, you know? That was the same thing how I felt when I saw Britney Spears for the first time. It's like, what is this? There's weird things going on now. And imagine the curl equivalent happened when they saw, you know, the Backstreet Boys doing things and dancing and spinning around and dancing with loose-fitting open shirts and you can see their nipples and their chest lines and stuff. And you know what? Little girls love that shit and Lou fucking loved that shit too, okay? So with the success of Backstreet Boys... You know, they became fucking huge, like, instantly. Like, an instant hit. Once that album actually dropped, that shit was huge, okay? So, with the success of Backstreet Boys, Lou realized something. Where there's Coke, there's Pepsi. See? And you probably thought Coke, like, music, like, oh, yeah, he's a music manager. This dude's fucking doing mad blow. This dude's doing so much blow. I don't know if this dude is doing blow. If this guy did blow, his heart would probably fucking come out of his chest, beat the shit out of him, and then explode. It was crazy. So, of course, this guy's using a food analogy, a gross sugary drink analogy at that. So, where there's Coke, there's Pepsi. And somebody's going to come along and do the Backstreet Boys knockoff. So, why shouldn't it be us, you know? Lou, being smart, realizing there was room for competition, Lou went and created the fucking competition for the Backstreet Boys, you know? Lou went and found some guys and made a little group called NSYNC. And Sync was the bubblegum boys next door type compared to the darker, moodier vibe of the Backstreet Boys, which is complete horse shit because let's be serious, they're both fucking terrible, okay? Backstreet Boys had that cool like horror theme video for like Backstreet's Back, but that's that's it, okay? Other than that, they're really not that moody, okay? Um, you know, both their songs are both, Baby, I want to love you, baby. And that's that's how that shit goes. And it's pretty fucking bad. So anyways, when... So he, start, he starts NSYNC, and he basically trains them the exact same way that he trained Backstreet Boys. He had a winning thing. He wrote, got hired a bunch of, like, Swedish-German dudes to write pop music because Swedish and German white dudes write the catchiest shit. That's what they do, okay? They're, they're really good at just being weird, beautiful people and making really catchy pop music. That's it. That's it. They, they, they're trying to move so far past, like, the Nazi past. Germany's like, no, 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 we don't care. We don't care. We write, we write pop music. You like song? We write pop song. Yes, baby, baby, I love you. Dance, dance, dance. I don't kill you. No, no, no. That's the past. I love you. I love you. Look at me dance. I'm a boy. Yeah, you're a girl. Pop music. Yeah. See? And then they somehow refined that until eventually they fucking nailed the winning formula. You know, just like they're like, hey, if we got so good at killing in such a short period of time, maybe we could do it for other things. And then they start working on automobiles, technology. Swedish people are like, we make furniture, yeah? And then eventually they're like, 
pop music come together to make pop music and then they're like bing bop beep 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 and then they're just writing songs and they're fucking killing it they're like i'm a boy you're a girl we sing song about getting together and being in love yeah da, 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 da. and that's pop music essentially okay <laughs> uh so sync were were fucking they were just waiting for the big break. And Backstreet Boys were huge. Backstreet Boys, they'd get off or shit, and they'd be like, nah, we don't want to do that show. And then Lou would just be like, okay. And then he'd be like, hey, NSYNC, you're going to this show because they're not doing it because fuck them. And he would, he would even talk shit in between the bands. He'd try to fucking... He created a fake rivalry between pop bands, which is genius. It's genius, you know? You need your alien, you need your predator, and you need to put them together. So, obviously got to do this crossover okay so Lou would pass off the sloppy seconds to NSYNC and some would argue NSYNC were in more talented band they had the better singers better dancers perhaps you know in fact they're out of both bands that's the only band that where one person has actually gone on to become the now like six most successful selling individual pop male star. I don't know. I don't know that much about Justin Timberlake. But anyways, NSYNC was happy to fill these positions and build their brand. One year, Backstreet Boys refused to do a Disney concert because they're like, fuck it, we don't want to do Disney, okay? We're fucking sick of doing Disney. And NSYNC accepted it in their place, okay? And NSYNC went on, they did their thing, they fucking slapped their dicks, girls went, woo! And they fucking sang the German, you're a boy, I'm a girl, we love each other, boop, boop, boop. They sing their fucking songs, their German pop music, fucking propaganda songs, probably. Who knows? Who knows? These Germans and these Swedes, they could be fucking implanting. Who knows what they've been implanting in our minds through fucking pop music. They write all of it, so God knows what they could be saying, okay? People were worried about metal music. Well, metal's just being written by some fucking lonely dude in the basement of his fucking mom's house, okay? Don't worry. Pop music's being written by weird people that are making money God knows how, okay? So worry about the pop writers, okay? So anyway, so NSYNC does this fucking concert. They kill it. Girls are wet. Girls love it. And then unknowingly, Disney basically starts replaying this concert every single day on the Disney Channel. So kids, little girls, little boys seeing NSYNC basically every day and gives NSYNC a substantial amount of exposure to new audiences. And that's their that's their break. And that's what launches them into superstardom. And basically then, pop up, they're both singing songs. Uh, Backstreet Boys like, baby... Pop it, baby. We can pop it, baby. And then NSYNC's like, girl, I'm gonna pop you, girl. I'm gonna pop it, girl. And then Backstreet Boys are like, baby, pop it, baby. Pop it, baby. And then NSYNC's like, girl, I go popping. Girl, girl, go popping. And then the NSYNC's, and then Backstreet Boys, and then MTV's like, this is fucking crazy. This is fucking crazy. I want this shit playing all the fucking time. And then MTV, remember MTV? They went and created TRL just so that people could be like, I want Backstreet Boys. I want NSYNC. I want them again. I want them again. I want the girl popping girl song. And then baby pop me baby song. Beep boop pop beep 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 pop. Blah, 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 blah. And then next thing you know, we're brainwashed by Germans and Swedish people. And then teens are just spending all day calling MTV. They're not even going to school. They're just sitting at home, just waiting, being like, I'm going to request this video. Do, 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 do. I want to see them dance all day. Ba, 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 ba. And so 
Backstreet Boys, NSYNC are now the biggest fucking things in the world. They're the biggest acts in the world. And at this point, now it's the late 90s. And Lou Pearlman is a legitimate millionaire. He's fucking rich. He owns two of the two biggest musical acts in the world, you know? And now he also expanded, you know, he now owns a business empire that includes his boy bands. You got TCBY, the yogurt company. You got Chippendales. He bought the male stripper Chippendales, okay? If this is not evidence of the type of person Lou Pearlman was, what the fuck? He bought Chippendales. He also bought NYPD pizza. What? What? NYPD Pizza. There's a pizza company named after cops? What the fuck? That's crazy. That's that's crazy. See, when I was talking about like the Italian fire department, which go back, listen, to, that's a fun episode. I didn't really know that there was actually NYPD Pizza where a bunch of fake Italian cops was just like, I'm slinging fucking pizza. What the fuck? They could compete against. Damn. Yes, them and the Boston Wahlberg Pizza pizza shops are racist okay so anyways he also owned a place called pearl steakhouse which was like his shitty like corporate steakhouse it was like hey i like fucking just eating at like fucking kelsey's all day let's just go i'm gonna buy like a fucking kelsey's and just call it pearl steakhouse and i'll make like a shitty i'll make a fucking shitty new york strip loin you want a medium rare too bad fucking well done you dumb bitch take it out he's complaining who gives a fuck send it out again spit on it rub it on your dick who cares it's a fucking shitty steakhouse who cares so he just adds a bunch of shitty restaurants and strippers randomly like Basically, he owns the fattest. He owns a steakhouse, a pizza place, and a yogurt place. And it's like, dude, have you even been to your yogurt place? You could, you should really expand your horizons and try some yogurt and cut back on your pizza in your steakhouse, okay? Maybe go work out with the Chippendales, okay? Nice, get a nice six-pack like them. Get that nice V thing that points to your dick, okay? You can get that instead of just being a blob of a human being. You're literally Grimace. If Grimace, the McDonald's character, came to life... And was just instead of a big purple blob, you were just a weird, pale, sunburnt blob with arm hair as head hair, okay? You have two-year-old baby hair, you're part blimp, okay? What the fuck is wrong with you? You're part blimp, part grimace, part who? What the fuck are you? No one knows, okay? No one knows. So, at this point, Lou was living the American dream, okay? And on top of his legitimate businesses, Lou was also selling stocks and retirement plans through his illegitimate company, Transcon, using falsified documents from the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, AIG, and Lloyds of London, as well as his success in advertising and music, Lou would go around and convince people to invest in the Transcon. You know, he's got businesses and people are like, this guy, this guy's making money. This guy's got successful business. He, he's got the two most, he's, this guy owns the two most successful musical acts in the world right now. He's got, I know TCBY, every, no, I don't really fuck with all the shit he's doing, but he's got businesses that are making legitimate money. And this Transcon thing, this seems like a good investment because this guy seems to know how to make money. And honestly, looking at it, this company is making money, okay? Apparently, you know, so Lou would go around, convince people to invest in the Transcon, which is a non-existent business. It does not exist, you know? Lou targeted people like the kind dude named David Mathis. 
man that Lou convinced to invest in the Transcon after whining and dining him. He would take him to his restaurants and be like, look, I own this fucking restaurant. I can't be a scam artist. I own this fucking steakhouse. And Math is like, the guy owns a steakhouse. Obviously, the man's a genius. He owns a steakhouse. How hard owning a steakhouse must be fucking incredibly hard. Imagine, I could never possibly own a steakhouse in my entire life. And so he was like, holy shit, take my money, you know? And so Mathis was treated like a king whenever he's in the presence of Lou. Lou would take him around town inside of the Backstreet Boys tour bus. And girls would be like, holy shit, it's the Backstreet Boys tour bus. And they fucking chase it. And then these two fucking just random white dudes would get out. And then girls would be like, what? Where's, where's AJ? Where's Howie? Where's Brian? I'm more of a Brian girl. Really? I'm more of a Kevin. Kevin's so gross. Okay, girls, let's be serious. If you're not talking about Nick, then what the fuck are you talking about? Nick is the only thing that matters in my life. Nick, come out of the bus. Please, come out of the bus. And so it's just these two fucking guys. She's like, we're talking business here. We're talking business. Hey, we're making business here. Let's talk finances and stuff. Investments. So Lou convinced Mathis that he would take 10%, that, uh, sorry, Lou convinced Mathis that Mathis would make 10% on top of his investments. You know, Lou showed Mathis that Transcon had 47 airplanes and was making nearly $80 million in annual sales. In reality, Transcon had one airplane and was basically just a shell company for all the scams that Lou was running. Mathis would attend annual stockholder meetings in Orlando. And despite Transcon, like, despite Transcon never actually existed, he went to meetings for a company that didn't fucking exist, okay? Mathis never got the thousands of dollars he invested. He never got his money back. Never got his money back. And guess who else didn't get money? Not just people that he was going around scamming, but the people that were actually making him money were also the people that were being scammed. Breaking up with Big Papa. While working with the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, the boys in the band built a family-like bond with Lou. Amongst the boys, Lou was known as Big Papa. Big Papa been big bim plimp blimpin blah 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 big blimpin big blah. He's just a fucking blah blah blah. Big blobber. Big blob boy. Anyways, Lou made all these kids superstars and he fucking made them feel like it. He made these kids feel like they could do whatever the fuck they wanted, okay? Lou was the type of guy that made you feel like you're the only person in the room. Okay, he'd be like, what do you want? What do you want? You want to fucking, you want to swim in a pool? You want to drive a car? What, what the fuck you want? Okay, AJ of the Backstreet Boys said he was the best car salesman you've ever seen. He'd promise you features that didn't even exist yet. AJ continues. He was a big kid. He made himself more relatable to us, you know? Lou would buy the boys watches. He'd let them drive the cars, take them wherever they wanted, spoil them like they're his fucking kids. You know, he's just like, hey, what the fuck you want? You want a fucking cheese? He's a fucking cheese, but you want a steak? Hey, you want to play? What do you want? What do you want? You want to go, you want to go fly somewhere? Huh? You want to go to New York City? You want to go f- fucking go see the Statue of Liberty? I don't know. You, you want to get diddled? 
Huh? What? No, I'm, I'm just kidding. What? Never mind. You know, a lot of the boys in the bands had absent fathers. And Lou made it his job to be the father to all of the boys. He'd come in and be like, I'm your fucking daddy. I'm Big Papa. Hey, you can come play on my blimp. Look at me. This is Planet Blimp. This is Planet Lou. Lou's planet, your planet, Mikasa, Sukasa, come over here, suck my dick. And, you know, at first these people were like, what? Is he joking about the dick sucking thing? What's going on? After being a loser his entire life, you know, people around him sort of like felt it, you know? Like he was, he was desperate, you know? Even Lou so desperately wanted to belong to those groups and wanted your friendship and wanted to be loved. I never thought I'd feel sorry for a multi-millionaire, but I did. That's a quote from Lori Majewski, the co-founder of Teen People magazine. Lou was a big man. He was a big man. He was a fucking huge man. And while in the presence of the boys, he lived a big life. Perhaps a bigger life than he could afford. Lou and his men hired private jets and helicopters for every business trip. And so he's just like, fuck it, we're flying. And they're like, wait, man, it's like a it's like a walk, it's like a 10-minute walk down the street. Fuck it, the helicopter picks me up here. It's like, there's no way for a helicopter. Fuck you! Get this man questioning my ability to fly my helicopter in the fucking city? Huh? I'll have a fucking full jet land right here on fucking Times Square, and I'll hop in it if I fucking want to. And they're just like, okay, what? You're, dude, calm down. And he's just like, fuck you. Fuck you. Eat my food. Okay? Everything. Every meal at a fa- fancy restaurant. That was on company money. That was on, he was just spending fucking money. He literally ballooned up. He literally became Blimp Boy. He was 350 fucking pounds. 350. He was living big, literally. There's a quote. He was so unbelievably fat. He used to sit down, and his middle tire was down to the floor. His belly was down to the floor. What a fat fuck. That's, that's from Jennifer Emanuel, one of, was an inve- a daughter of one of his investors, okay? His favorite place was that all-you-could-eat buffet at Olive Garden. That's how you know he's a New York Jew slime ball. He's like, hey, hey, I'm a fucking millionaire, but... We're going to go meet at a fucking Olive Garden, okay? I want some fucking breadsticks, and I'm going to eat breadsticks, okay? The breadsticks are fucking delicious. Let me tell you one thing about fucking breadsticks, okay? Okay? Before, before, before I was selling blimps, making millions of dollars, before I was selling advertising, making million dollars, before I was even owned, I could own this fucking building right now, you know? You know that? I could own this fucking building. But, you know, it comes down to the breadsticks. We're talking breadsticks, Okay? We're talking blimps versus breadsticks, okay? What makes more money, the blimps or the breadsticks? And guess what? These unlimited breadsticks, they're just losing money. They don't know what they're doing, but I got the blimps. And people are like, why is he making an analogy between blimps and breadsticks? What is, what is this guy doing? But somehow, eventually, he would just make you eat so many breadsticks to the point you're, dilu- you're hallucinating. And then he'd get you the fucking sign your money over. He'd drug your breadsticks. That's what he would do. He'd take you to Olive Garden and drug your fucking breadsticks. And he'd be like, you're fucking drugged. Look here. Look here. Here's the fucking contract. You're going to give me a bunch of money, okay? And you're just like, what's going on? What is this? Is this a pen? And he's like, it's a breadstick. Have another bite, okay? Just keep eating the breadsticks. Don't ask questions. Shut the fuck up. Sign here. Give me money, okay? So... <clears throat> 
He was just scamming people and stuff. Lou was spending a lot of money on basic living expenses. He was going above and beyond to impress the kids. And the kids were fucking impressed, okay? They were, but they were like, hey, this is a fucking sick lifestyle, but I would really like to get paid. The kids were eager to get paid because, you know, they wanted to keep living that. And they wanted to keep getting whatever they wanted whenever they wanted it. So they were getting paid. They were just were like, I just want to get paid. And because at the time, before you included record sales or touring, the boys were being paid per diem, which essentially they only actually made $35 a day each. So five times 35, whatever that is, that's how much Lou had to actually pay the band, the people performing. That's how much she was actually paying them, you know, but everything around them was free. Everything around them was free. So they thought, right? So they thought. Because by the end of 1997, the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC were the two biggest musical acts on earth. But at this time, neither band had received any money for their success. So, one night Lou takes the boys of both bands and their families to Lowry's, which is like a shitty restaurant in Orlando that doesn't exist. Probably like another shitty like corporate steakhouse. Like, have the fucking T-bone. Come on, have it. Have the fucking, have the shrimp dip. I don't even know, but whatever. Have the fucking lobster biscuits. It's all on me. Eat it off of my chest, please. Please. Oh, and he's, he's, he's just horny for food. So, at this time, the boys have sold over 10 million records and are expecting to receive the biggest checks of their lives. Like, obviously, they're fucking, they shouldn't be millionaires. They should be getting giant checks. A dude should be walking in with a bunch of giant checks. Being like, here's a fucking big boy here for you, for you, for you, for you, for you. Now go fuck everything for the rest of your life. Okay? But, however, they get their checks. And when they open their checks, the reaction was not what they or their families expected. Each member of each band got a check for a measly $10,000. So, if you do the math and add up the hours they had worked, they had essentially made less than if they had been working a minimum wage serving job at the restaurant. They could have made more money serving at one of Lou Pearlman's gross-ass, shitty corporate fucking steakhouses. Like, hey, southern fucking T-bone steak. It's like, this is this is a burger patty. And it's like, no, oh, that's a steak, I swear. I, I cooked it myself. Really? You can cook? I don't think you shouldn't be allowed to cook. Anyways. So, this this is obviously, the boys realized they were, they were being fucking scammed. Apparently, Lance Bass, the gay one in NSYNC, he was like, I ripped up my check. I ripped that shit up. And, uh... Members of the groups hired lawyers who quickly realized the boys have signed what was effectively the worst record contract in music history. Through the contracts, Lou had made himself the sixth member of the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. So their profits were not divided by five between each band because there's five members of each band no, there was also Lou was getting the same amount of money because Lou was like, I'm in the band too. I play the fucking breadstick on the tambourine. Do, 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 do. See? Yeah, I'm doing things. Fuck yeah. 
I'm fucking Lou Pearlman, greatest tambourine player of all time. Fuck you. So, therefore, he was making just as much money as the members, plus he was still making money as their manager, producer, tour, all, all that bullshit, etc. All that shit. Essentially, the boys learned that Lou was actually broke. He actually didn't have any money because everything they thought Lou owned was actually bought with the money that was rightfully theirs. Lou was taking their money that they were making and spending it on shit that he was like, these boys will love it. He's going to love it. They're going to love it. And he just made himself look so fucking sick, so fucking cool. And then turns out the whole, all the shit that they were enjoying, like, wow, Lou's got a lot of cool shit. Turned out it's like, wow, I actually have a lot of cool shit. It would have been nice if I knew that this was all my shit so I could, you know, know that, you know, this is what I own. <clears throat> so, despite being bitter rivals, you know, to Coke and the Pepsi of pop music, which is ironic, considering we call it Coke and Pepsi, we call some people call Coke and Pepsi pop soda. Depends on which part of the countries you're part, where you where where are you at? Could be soda, could be pop, could it's all Coke in some places. Who knows? You know, despite being bitter rivals, they came together to find out how they could sue Lou Pearlman. In 1998, the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC filed separate lawsuits against Lou Pearlman. No one thought they could get out of their record contracts, nor did anyone really care for them to get out because everyone's like, these guys, they're one-hit wonders, they're one and done, they're not going to come out with another record, okay? No one thought they had were going to have any long-term success. But regardless, the Backstreet Boys sue Pearlman claiming he stole $10 million from them while only giving them... $300,000 of their earnings. NSYNC then followed suit and sues Perlman for $25 million. With no one expecting the bands to win, lawyers were actually able to find a loophole in the contracts. In the contracts with Transcon Records, which was Lou's fake record company under the Transcon umbrella, it was just a shell company for all his fake shit, he promised that the groups would be signed to an American record label within a certain amount of time. I don't remember, it was like within five years or something, or four, three years, something like that. Both groups were signed to record labels, but remember where both groups, the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, both their first big hits were in Germany. They're huge in German. Yeah, yeah. Pop girl. Yeah, I'm a boy. I'm a poppy boy. Popping with the girls. Dance, I love you, girl. Pop, boop. So, since they were signed to a record label, but a German record label, they were able to make the case that Lou did not live up to his end of the contract. So, Lou was now losing the case and decided to countersue the bands. Lou claimed... He was the band. He was like, I'm the fucking band. I own this band. I made the fucking music. You see me? I go, pop music, pop dude, girl, boy, dog, cat, bop, bop, dibby. See, I'm, I make the music here. I make the fucking music. I'm, I am the band. And you know what? People weren't buying it. In the NSYNC case, the judge even said, and I quote, Mr. Perlman, you claim you are NSYNC. And that these boys over here aren't. But my daughter has a picture of these boys on her wall. Not you. She doesn't have a picture of you. 
the judge grants NSYNC to leave their contract with Lou Pearlman because he realizes this dude's a fucking slime ball too. He's like, dude, you're not the sixth member of the band. You're you're just a fat fuck that just found a band. Good for you. People discover bands all the time, okay? You get a finder's fee, you get them signed, you make a little bit of money, but you're not making band member money. Are you kidding me? You don't make band member money, bro. That doesn't happen. So NSYNC's out of the fucking contract, dude. Out of the contract, okay? All of these cases brought against Lou Pearlman by boy bands were either won by the bands or eventually settled out of court. So Lou effectively pretty much lost and had the payback all of these bands whether or not he actually paid them back who knows okay so after the bands won the lawsuits lou became a sad piece of shit and he's like man these fucking guys betrayed me i gave them everything i gave them everything i gave them girls I gave them fame, money, cause he's fucking 15. I was there when he rubbed his first girl's pussy. It's like, dude, you shouldn't be bragging about that. That's weird. That's weird. You're fucking weird. Don't say those things. And he's like, what? I'm Lou. I'm Big Lou. I'm Big Papa. I'm Big Blimpin. Come on. What are you doing? It's like, dude, what the fuck is going on? What? Anyways, so... He felt like he lost his biggest cash cow. He lost his friends. And even worse, he felt like he lost his family, you know. Without the Backstreet Boys or NSYNC, where would Lou go? Well, you know, where, where, where could Lou go? Would, would he go back to New York? Would he start focusing on his other business ventures? Would he go back to the blimp world? Would he return to the big blimpin' lifestyle? Would he go back to slinging blimps and sucking dicks? What would he do? Would he would he make his fake airline shell company or a real a real company? No, no, he he wouldn't do that. <clears throat> no, that that would just make too much sense to focus on the businesses that are slightly successful or at least try to improve the one that he's pretending to be a success you know no no lou lou was like i'm good at making bands and god damn it fuck you if i don't make another band because i'm big papa and i'm gonna keep on making motherfucking boy bands until i motherfucking die you can suck my dick i'm big papa i'm big blimpin and i'm gonna make a fucking band bro Next week on Otis Morris Hates Himself. Okay, so that's part one about Lou Pearlman. That's part one. Do you like that? He's uh, he's he's a con man, and uh, you know you you bought those records and you scammed those people. So you know you're in your thirties and you're being like, why are the Backstreet Boys still touring? You think they'd have enough money? And it's like no, 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 because all those albums you bought as a child, they didn't see any of that fucking money. They didn't get any of that. So. You know, now you have to go watch a boy band as full grown men. You know, some of them are in their 40s, have children that look up to them, and they have to explain to the children that, I'm sorry, but we signed with this big fat lobster man, this blimp man, this guy who's fucking, he was just a pimp for blimps, and we got fucking scammed. So now, even well into my 40s, I still have to put on tacky costumes and throwaway pants that pull off and shit 
like a fucking asshole and throw thousands of screaming girls who at one point were attractive 18-year-old women, but now they're 35-year-old women with stretch marks and drug habits. And you know what? It's just not the same. But would I do it all over again? Yes, I would. Ugh. Those guys, those guys, I feel bad for the boy. They, that sucks. That sucks. It sucks when a band gets scammed out of money, even when they are like a shitty boy band. Like, I wish the German guys got more money. Where's the? What are those guys doing? Where's the German guys? They're like, I wrote pop girl sing boy love, and I get no money. Where this makes no sense to me. And uh, I wonder what happened to that guy. Where's my money? You know, did they sue Lou Pearlman? Who knows? We'll find out. So. Next episode, we're going to find out more of how he tries to recover with his boy band career, even though he lost NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys. And we're going to get into the thing that I've been hinting towards is that was Lou Pearlman a pedophile? Was he fucking these kids? We'll find out next week. We're also going to find out more about his scams. But the big thing about next week is... Lou Pearlman potentially was fucking these kids the entire time, and that may be the motive really behind why he even got into this industry is, I think it's because he wanted to fuck kids, but that's my opinion. It's all allegedly, who knows, he's dead now, we'll learn about how he dies and his, the shitty life that he lived after the boy bands. You know, the last 15 years of this guy's life is pretty shitty and he's fat shit and yeah you you see him and you're like this guy is fat and shitty and he lived a fat shitty life and he got what was coming to him so we're gonna learn more about him next week uh thanks for listening tune in next week and uh, next week's episode will be out on time and at midnight of monday so anyways bye love ya i gotta go feed a cat now hopefully he's not dead who knows Bye.